Welcome to Walking in Faith, a weekly podcast dedicated to examining the Bible to help lifelong seekers of the kingdom of God expand their faith and understanding by exploring God's Word. Let's pray. Lord, this morning we're going to look at a story that you have given to us about your sovereignty. And so we worship and celebrate that you are a sovereign God who is in control of all things. It's in your name we pray. Amen. I'd like us to turn to 1 Samuel chapter 1. Um, By now you probably know I love preaching from the Old Testament because I just love the Old Testament. For me, the Bible is one story of God. One story of God. The story actually begins in Genesis chapter 12 with a promise to Abraham that God would bless him and through him all nations would be blessed. So the introduction to the story of God is Genesis 1 through 11 where we are introduced to the main characters of the story. God, of course, who created all things. And then the 70 people groups listed in Genesis chapter 10. So it's God restoring the broken relationship of humanity. And so Genesis 11 is how they went from one people group to 70 people groups. And today it's over 2,000 people groups as uh, our, our world becomes more and more fractured. And so God gave a promise to Abraham that he would bless him. And that promise was fulfilled when Jesus came and died on the cross for our sins and that through him all nations would be reached. We're still in that part of the story today. That will be fulfilled in Revelation in the future at the great banquet in heaven where every nation, every tongue, every people will be represented at the table. God keeps his promises. And that's really the story of God. And so as you begin to read throughout the Bible, Old Testament, New Testament, you need to understand that. So when we get to 1 Samuel chapter 1, If all we do is read that story, what do we learn? We learn that God helps a barren woman have a child. And that's a good thing, don't misunderstand me, but that story is much bigger (laughs) than that. And so as we look at the book of Samuel, we need to put the book in the context of where does it fit into the story of God. And in the original uh, sequence of books, Samuel followed Judges. Now, I know in your Bibles, Ruth is kind of put in there between, and that came later. Uh, we, we, we did that. We Christians switched the order of the books around. But in the original order, Ruth actually follows Proverbs. So Proverbs ends with the talk about the perfect wife. And then Ruth is placed there as the example of the perfect wife. Now, in our in the original sequence, Judges came first. So what, in order to really understand what is happening in Samuel, we have to see what was going on in Judges. And so I'm going to ask you to turn to Judges chapter 21, verse 25. In those days, Israel had no king. Everyone did as they saw fit. So in this great story of God, we are now getting to the part of the story where we are introduced to the concept that we need a king. We need a king. And we see in Judges anarchy in the world because they had no king. They had some spiritual leaders who always or usually did not really amount to much. Uh, They all had their faults. 
And, uh, but it was total anarchy. And so now we are being introduced that we humans, we need someone to rule over us. We need a king. And so Samuel fits into that part of the story of, of who is this king that we need. Because without, without king, it's anarchy. Um, it's, it's slavery. It's suffering. And Judges leaves us in a very dark point in human history. There is no king. And so when we come now to Samuel, God is going to provide a king. Now, Samuel becomes really a turning point in the Old Testament as we move from the days of the judges to the days now of the monarchy. But you have to understand, as you read through Samuel, uh, you're introduced to three main characters, Samuel himself, David, uh, Saul, and then David. All failures. (laughs) And then you get to the books of Kings and Chronicles, and you have a whole list of, of, of kings that uh, were failures. And so what we're seeing here in this story of God is that the solution that we need is not a human king. And so these books are setting up what's coming later when we get to Matthew is, is Jesus is the king that we all need. And so you need to understand that what's happening here in Samuel is introducing us to the concept that we need a king and it's not going to be an earthly king because they always fail us. Now we do need spiritual leaders And it's interesting when you study uh, Samuel and Judges and Chronicles, when Israel had a good king, none were perfect, but when they had a spiritual leader, life was fairly well. And when they had a bad leader, life was fairly bad. So we do need good spiritual leaders. That is being established here as well. But it's very clear as you study here in the story of God that a human leader is not going to be the solution that we need. We need a godly Leader, and that is only Jesus Christ is the only one who can be that perfect king for us. And so you have to understand that what's happening here to Hannah in our story, if you know the story, it's not just about God helping a barren woman have a child. It's the importance how this child is going to fit into the story to bring us Jesus. And so you don't want to lose that focus. What God is doing here, he's starting the story now of how Jesus is about to come and be that earthly king, uh, to be our king and and rule over our lives. And so we get to a a little introductory story. We're not even at Samuel yet. We're we're talking about how Samuel was born. And so we're looking at now a leader by the name of Eli. So if you turn there and you see in verse 3, we are told year after year, this man, and we'll find out who this man is. His name is Elkanah. He is a Jewish man. Uh, went up from his town to worship and sacrifice to Yahweh Sabaoth, is what it says in the, in the original there. Yahweh Sabaoth, or as your Bible says, Almighty, the Lord Almighty, at Shiloh, where Hophni and Phinehas, the two sons of Eli, were priests of Yahweh. Now, if you are a study, a, 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 a scholar of names, there's a big problem here. Eli is a good Jewish name, and he's the spiritual leader of, of the people there in Israel. The problem we have is the names of his sons, Hophni and Phinehas. They're not good Jewish names. They're Egyptian names. And so right away we're introduced to this leader, the spiritual leader of Israel is a man who instead of relying on God... He was relying on 
the nation of Egypt. And so he basically was naming his sons, giving them Egyptian names so that he would endear himself to his Egyptian overlords down south. And so already we have a man here who is compromising. Instead of, of giving all glory to God and naming his sons uh, after God, he names them after these Egyptian uh, overlords. We also find out in the story he didn't discipline his kids. His, his boys were really bad. and you'll, you'll read about that later in the book. And so right away we are seeing here that Eli's family is disqualified as being the religious leaders of the day. They're not going to fit the void that we humans need for a king. And so then we're introduced to Samuel. And so we, we wonder, will Samuel be this spiritual leader that will, that will, that will lead us in uh, becoming followers of God. And it, it starts out pretty good. He's a powerful prophet. And um, we find out that his sons were not really much better than Eli's. At least they had good Jewish names. And so it, skipping ahead to the story, First Samuel chapter 8, I'll just read that. When Samuel grew old, he appointed his sons as Israel's leaders. The name of his firstborn was Joel. That's important. The L there means God, Joel. And the name of his second son was Abijah. That's also important. The Yah. That's Yahweh. So he's got two good names here for his sons. And they served at Beersheba. But his sons did not follow his ways. They turned aside after dishonest gain and accepted bribes and perverted justice. And so the end of Samuel's life is a tragedy as well. Samuel's family is disqualified. They cannot be the king that we so need in our lives. And so then we are introduced to Saul. Saul's the people's king. He's the, the people's choice. He was, he was handsome and rich and, and very tall. And he also started out pretty good at first. <clears throat> but we see that he disobeyed God uh, and he falls and God rejects him as the king. And so then we get to David, who is now God's choice. Oh, that's going to be good. It's God's choice. He must be the king we need, right? No, he's not. He might have been the earthly king, the spiritual leader that Israel needed at that time. But he also fails, as you know his story. He is crowned king. And, but what's important about David is who comes from David? Jesus Christ, which is the king we're leading to. This is the story of God, right? We're, we're starting here, and David is introduced, and it is through David that we'll finally receive Jesus later in the story. So David is God's choice here, and he makes a, a, a promise to David a promise that he always kept. He says, when your days are over and you rest with your ancestors, I'm reading from 2 Samuel now, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, your own flesh and blood, and I will establish his kingdom. Now that's interesting. So you understand the pronouns here just don't match. <laughs> God's saying, I'm going to raise up your sons and they're going to rule forever. And he, well, wait, wait, wait. sons is plural, right? And he will reign. His kingdom will reign forever. You see, it's pointing out to Jesus. His kingdom will reign forever. He is the one who will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. So we need a godly leader. We need a godly leader like David, and, but even our godly leaders fail if you study the, the life of David. Um, but it was through David we get the king that we really need, who is Jesus Christ. And this is the story of God. And, and you have to always remember the story and where it's going and where we are in the story. And so um, we finally get to Jesus in, in Matthew in the New Testament. 
But let's get back now to the story in our text today, now that we understand the context of where it's fitting in. It's all about the beginning of getting to Jesus. We've seen anarchy, the judges, this system is not working, we need a king. And now we're starting this great story of, of, of coming, of Jesus coming and being the king that we all need. And the story begins with a woman crying in Rama. I don't know about you guys, but when a woman cries, it just breaks your heart, doesn't it? You gotta find what's wrong, what's going on, why, why, why is she crying? Uh, so we need to find out what's wrong with Hannah. What is she crying about? And she's crying because she's barren. She can't have a child. And so the story, the great story of Jesus coming as the king begins with a woman crying in Rama because she's barren. Kind of a strange way to start that story. You know, not really starting on a, a strong note, are we? You know, that's not how Hollywood would tell this story. You know, we, if Hollywood were telling this story, there'd be a, a baby born, a very handsome baby, and grew up to be a very strong man. He would defend the weak. He beat all the odds, all the assassination attempts, and he'd finally become king. And, well, that is actually part of the story. It just comes later. <laughs> we're starting here with a woman crying in Ramah because she can't have a child. Hannah is the first of two wives of Elkanah. Elkanah had two wives. But Hannah was barren. And you see this theme throughout the story of God. God always begins with weakness. That's why Jesus was born as a baby. God begins with weakness. Why does he, why does he do that? The Bible tells us so that he gets all the glory. You see, if you started with somebody great and powerful, then we go, oh, that person did it. But God starts with weak. He starts with us, because we're all weak, aren't we? It is through our weakness that God does his work so that he gets all the glory. Well, let's take a look at the story. It starts in 1 Samuel chapter 1, verse 1. There was a certain man from Ramathaim, a Zephite, from the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Elkanah, son of Jeroham, the son of Elihu, the son of Tohu, the son of Zoph. All good names, by the way. Well, maybe not Zoph, but... An Ephraimite. He had two wives. Uh-oh. Something's wrong here. One was called Hannah and the other Penina. Penina had children, but Hannah had none. Now, who is this Elkanah? Elkanah was a Levite. We find out in Chronicles. He's, he's talked about later on in, in, in the stories. And so he was a Levite, which means he comes from the tribe of priests. So he is one of the godly leaders of Israel already. Uh, he's a wealthy man. How do we know that? He had two wives. <laughs> that was the culture back then. Uh, obviously what happened is Hannah was his first wife. This was the young woman that he fell in love with, you know, and wanted to spend the rest of his life with. But Hannah could not have a child. And if you're a wealthy man in that community, you need successors. You need a son to pass on your wealth to. And so he chooses another woman by the name of Penina, who can have children. So you can imagine how well these two ladies got along, huh? <laughs> you know, Hannah, of course, was jealous because she had no children, and Penina had all the children, and Penina's jealous because, well, <laughs> Elkanah loves Hannah. I'm just a woman of convenience. Um, and so these two women, I'm sure, hated each other. 
And uh, Hannah was probably a very depressed woman. Well, that's why we find her crying here. Her name, by the way, means grace. Hannah means grace, grace from God. Um, Interesting name, because I'm sure she didn't feel that God was showing her much grace in her life, being barren. It was a very, she was a nobody in her community when you think about it, because in that Jewish community, it was all about children. Your worth, your importance was based on your offspring. And so Hannah, when she would walk through the town, she probably walked with her head down, never looking people in the eyes, and people would kind of look at her and then go the other way. Ah, she's barren. Because she's barren, why? Because in their mind, she's barren because God's punishing her. She's done something wrong, or her parents have done something wrong. She comes from a wicked family, or she's wicked. Therefore, God is punishing her. And so she is just nobody in her community. Uh, You know, my name is Grace. I mean, I'm sure people made fun of her. Oh, there's Grace. (laughs) Yeah. And Penina says, did everything she could to make Hannah's life miserable. Why? Well, she's jealous of Hannah, too, because she knows Elkanah loves her and, and, uh, and doesn't love Penina. And so she does everything she can to make Hannah's life miserable. Look at verse 6. Because Yahweh had closed Hannah's womb, her rival, that's Penina's the rival, she kept provoking her in order to irritate her. Do you know women like that? Uh, Do you know men like that? (laughs) It's the same. This went on year after year. Poor Hannah. Whenever Hannah went up to the house of the Lord, in other words, whenever Hannah went to church, her rival provoked her until she wept and would not eat. You can see she's very depressed. She can't even eat. Year after year. Now, we can understand what is happening here. If it were today, imagine Hannah and Penina going to the grocery store. What's the closest grocery store here? Vons? Okay. They're, in, they're shopping in Vons. And so Hannah has a cart with just a few little items in there for herself. And she walks up to the counter and just puts her stuff in the counter there and doesn't even look at the lady and no eye contact and pays for her few groceries. Penina is behind her with two shopping carts with five kids hanging off the end of it, you know, and, and, and just bringing shame to Hannah. Every day was like that. It says when she went up to the house, when she went to church, I, I can imagine Sunday morning going to church, right? And they're all getting everybody's ready, and Penina says, Hannah, I see you're all ready for church because she only has to take care of herself, right? Oh, could you take care of Anya? She needs her hair brushed. And oh, it's such beautiful hair, just like her father's. Just always just attacking Hannah, making her feel worthless. And so Hannah is crying all the time, aching for a child of her own. I want you to notice in verse 6 who closed Hannah's womb? God closed. Hannah's womb. Who has brought on this pain and suffering to Hannah? God. Now, some of you are having a problem with that already. God brings pain and suffering to my eye? That's what the text says. I'm I'm just reading what it says. God closes Hannah's womb. The pain and suffering that Hannah is experiencing in life is because of what God did. God closed her womb. 
Does that bother you a little bit to hear that? We tend to think that, oh, when bad things happen to us, it's because, well, God's a big God. You know, he, doesn't, he can't really worry about me personally. Or, or, you know, we make excuses for God uh, because we don't want to think about God actually bringing the pain and suffering into my life. God's too busy. He can't do everything about it. But does that really make your suffering any more bearable by making excuses for God? Because if it's true that we are suffering because of some accidents of genetics or because of other accidents or because God is not concerned about us, does that really make you feel better? Because that means your pain and suffering has no meaning. Your pain and suffering has no meaning. If God didn't bring it upon you, then your pain and suffering will never have any meaning. But the truth is, God is sovereign. God is sovereign. And we are not at the mercy of bad luck. So if you are experiencing pain and suffering in your life right now, it's because God has brought it upon you. And mostly, and not because you've sinned. That was, that's what Job takes care of. I mean, the book of Job. That's how the book of Job fits in the story. Job fits in there with Psalms and Proverbs um, where we're talking about how we, 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 sin destroys our lives and being stupid destroys our life. You know? So if we want uh, the, the life that God wants for us, the blessed life that God wants for us, then we need to live in obedience to him. True, that's the sin part. That's what Psalms is all about. But we also need to be smart. You know, and that's what, so some things may not be a sin, but they're still stupid to do. And that's what Proverbs is all about. How Job fits into the story of God is because of the, 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 uh, the Hebrews believe that if you were suffering in life, it's because you had sinned. And so Job here is an example of sometimes suffering in our life has nothing to do with sin in our life. God's just doing something that we don't know what's going on. And so if you're suffering right now, it could be that simply God is doing something right now that you're unaware of, and he'll work it out for good. You all know Romans 8.28, right? And we know that in all things God works for good those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. You might be suffering right now, but it will work out for good. That's the promise. It will work out for good. Hannah's name meant grace. And you know, it really is appropriate. We tend to think grace is receiving something good that we don't deserve. But sometimes grace is receiving something bad we don't deserve. Hannah didn't deserve to be barren, but God still gave her barrenness. He gifted her with barrenness for some greater purpose, which is going to be known in just a few more verses. God brought the suffering for a greater good. God is in control. I I need a volunteer to come up here. Who, Who would... Just, just come up here for a second, somebody. You're smiling. So what's your name? Nicole. Nicole, thank you. Uh, Nicole, I have some thing I want to, oh, there's no spoon in here. Oh, there is a spoon here. I have some baking soda here. And I would just like you to taste some baking soda. It's okay. It won't kill you. Is that good? Not super tasty. No, would you like some more? No, I'm good. No, no, you're good? Okay. <laughs> you know, so this is, the, sometimes this is, you know, uh, what we're experiencing in life. It's, it's like baking soda. It's, it's no taste. It's really bitter, isn't it? It is very 
Would it surprise you to know, it won't surprise you because as a great cook, I'm sure you are, that that, um, uh, this cookie, one of the ingredients is baking soda. Would you take a cup? Oh, sure. Is, is, that, is that much better? Much better yeah. yeah. So sometimes, you can sit down, thank you, Nicole. Sometimes, right now, what you're experiencing in life is baking soda. But God is going to turn that with other ingredients he's going to bring into your life into a great cookie. By the way, there's two cookies up here. One is mine. So whoever else comes up here. Huh? Yeah. Well, this is interesting. So communion, we're going to have communion here. And so inside the crackers you're about to eat for communion is what? Some baking soda. Jesus broke his body for us, you know. And so there's some, there's some suffering in there as well. Even for Jesus had, had to go through suffering. But out of it comes a beautiful cracker, which we get to experience on Communion Sunday together. And, and so, so we have to understand that, yeah, right now you might be experiencing pain and suffering in your life, just as Hannah was. And that's the baking soda. It's bitter. It's, it, we don't want to eat that. But that's not the only ingredient that's going to be placed into our life. Other ingredients are going to be placed into our life, and all things work out for good. Did you make these cookies? You bought these cookies, okay. Okay, all right. I'm sure if you made them, they'd be good too. But it, all things turn out for good, right? You know, God's, God is going to turn your suffering into a very tasty cookie. God's going to work it out for good. God's in control. You may be experiencing pain and suffering in your, right, in your life right now, but God is in control. Maybe, maybe, like Hannah, you're childless. Maybe you can't conceive. Or maybe you're single and you can't wait to get married and have that first child. <laughs> um, or maybe your career is not exactly what you imagined it would be. Or maybe you didn't get into that university you wanted to get into. Or maybe you have some sickness that is attacking you. Or maybe your marriage is not exactly what you imagined it would be. Maybe a relationship of yours is broken with a, with a sister or a brother or a parent or a child or a friend. Or maybe you're the, the victim of the cruel words of another Penina who's just attacking you all the time and making you depressed. And that's the baking soda in our life. But God's going to take that baking soda and he's going to turn it into a delicious cookie. It's just one of the ingredients in your life. All things will work out for good. And so we begin with this baking soda, this broken heart of Hannah. But she was also a faithful Hannah. And God's going to turn this baking soda into a cookie. And it's going to lead to Jesus. This is the story. The beginning of the story of leading us to Jesus begins with a broken woman. I want to go back to that idea of God brings pain and suffering in life because a lot of people struggle with that. But do, would you want to go through pain and suffering if you didn't know God was in control and that was going to become a cookie? Because that's what gives you meaning. That gives your pain and suffering meaning. God is having you go through something now because he's got something greater for you later. And now your pain and suffering has Meaning, it may not be <laughs> very pleasant right now what you're living and what you're going through, but we have faith 
that will get better. And so the story continues. Verse 9, once when they had finished eating and drinking in Shiloh, Hannah stood up. You know, imagine meals around the table. All those kids, Penina, and Hannah sitting off by herself. I mean, she stands up and walks away. Nobody notices. She stands up. Now Eli, the priest, was sitting on his chair by the doorpost of Yahweh's house. In her deep anguish, Hannah prayed to Yahweh, weeping bitterly. And she made a vow, saying, Yahweh Sabaoth, Lord Almighty, if you will only look on your servant's misery and remember me, and not forget your servant, but give her a son, then I will give him to Yahweh for all the days of his life, and no razor will ever be used on his head. Hannah turns to them, to the one who brought the pain and suffering into her life and pleads with God for a child. And she says, if you give me a child, I will dedicate my child to God's service. And she refers to God there, Lord Almighty, as you have it there in English, it's uh, Yahweh Sabaoth. It's one of the great names of God in the Bible. It appears 240 times in the Bible. This is the first. Hannah is the first person in the story of God to refer to him as Sabaoth, Almighty. It literally means God of the hosts. Who are the hosts? The angels in heaven, right? The idea that God is this leader of a great and mighty army in heaven, full of power and majesty. And that's why we we translate it almighty. It emphasizes God's sovereignty, God's control over all things. And Hannah is the first person to refer to God in the Bible as the God of hosts, the God who is in control of all things. She knows where her barrenness is coming from. She's not blaming on genetic deficiency. She's not blaming on some accident uh, in, in her life. She knows it's coming from the God of hosts, the God who is in control of all things. And she's not bitter at all with God. She's simply asking, God, please give me a child. She has faith in God that he is in control and that he will work all things out for good. And in her imagination, it's about giving her a child. And in Hannah's case, it's true. It's not always true. We may not get what we want, but we always know God is in control. You see, Hannah also knew something else about God. He is a good God. He's a good God. So if a good God brings pain and suffering into your life, there must be a good reason for it, correct? That's the faith that Hannah has. So I'm, I, I, right now my life is baking soda. I don't like it, but I know he's a good God. And so I know something good is going to come out of this. She never becomes angry against God. Does she wonder whether this God of hosts, this almighty God, would even know about her pain and suffering? Yes, she knows. She knows God understands her pain and suffering. So sometimes, though, we think that God's too busy for us. When we're experiencing that pain in our life, we, you know, God is just too big to worry about me, right? You ever feel that way sometimes? God is just too big to worry about me. I'm too insignificant for God to give his attention to my little problems in life. But you know, (laughs) 
The problem is not that God is too big to you. The problem is God is too small for you. Because as soon as you say God is too big to, to be bothered with me, you're saying he's too small to be bothered with me. God is so big that he can do everything he does and still be concerned about each one of us. He cares about each. He knows us by name. He knows what you're going through. He is Yahweh Sabaoth, the God of hosts. And so we have a big God and we have a good God. And that's what keeps Hannah going and that's what keeps us going in life. He's the God of hosts. He controls the universe. He knows the intimate details of our lives. God is the best multitasker. He can handle it. He can do it all. And Hannah believed that this God would hear the prayer of this lonely woman who slipped away during a dinner meal with her family to pray. And Hannah's right. If you know the story, she will have a son. Verse 17, Eli answered, because remember, he was sitting listening to her praying. Eli answered, go in peace, and may the God of Israel grant you what you have asked of him. And you know, she recognized Eli, even though he wasn't that great of a spiritual leader. He was the spiritual leader. And she took that as God answering her prayer. That through Eli, God answered the prayer that she would have a child. And when Hannah heard those words, it says her sadness went away. Verse 18, she said, may your servant find favor in your eyes. Then she went her way and ate something. In other words, the depression was finally gone. She ate something, and her face was no longer downcast. And in the story, soon you will find that the faithful Hannah becomes Mama Hannah. And she has her first child. Verse 19, early the next morning, they arose and worshiped before Yahweh, and then went back to their home at Ramah. Elkanah made love to his wife Hannah, and Yahweh remembered her. So in the course of time, Hannah became pregnant and gave birth to a son. She named him God has heard, or Samuel because I asked Yahweh for him. That's what Samuel means. If, you know, it, the L there means God, and the Samu means heard. So God heard. God heard my prayers. She had her son that she prayed for. Or you could say God hears. She, and she follows through with, on her promise to God and brings her young son. And that's another message right there. I mean, can you imagine moms you've been wanting a child your whole life, you finally get one, and then you have to give it up. I mean, this is, this is some amazing woman. She keeps her promise, and she brings Samuel to the temple to serve God. Verse 28, so now I give him to Yahweh. For his whole life, he will be given over to Yahweh. And he worshiped Yahweh there. So I leave you with this thought this morning. Are you hurting right now? Are you hurting right now? Do you feel your life is bitter like that baking soda? Well, God's going to turn it into a cookie. He is a good God, and he's a big God, and he can handle everything. And so that is where we have our hope. You may feel like baking soda right now, but give it some time. God's going to turn your life into a delicious cookie. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this story of Hannah, a story, Lord, that points us to you, that you are ultimately the grace, as Hannah's name means, Lord, the grace that will be given to humanity, that will restore our relationship 
with you, a relationship we destroyed by sinning against you, Lord. And you've given us this beautiful picture of Hannah at the beginning of the coming of Jesus, Lord, that you are a big God and you are a good God. You are a sovereign God. You are in control of all things. And it is because of that we have our hope. It's in your name we pray. Amen. We hope you have enjoyed this week's message. We encourage you to share it with others. If you have any questions or comments, please email us at info at orangevilla.org. Be sure and join us for next week's message by subscribing to this podcast. To learn more about our ministry, submit prayer requests, or to find ways you can help hear the gospel, visit us online at orangevilla.org. Till next time, we hope the grace and peace of God's love be ever present in your life.